Let me ask you to turn in your Bibles to James chapter 2. We were working our way through the book of James before our trip to England and uh, before Easter. So now we return to this most practical book. And yet while we talk about it being practical, I don't want to uh, make some kind of a false dichotomy as if there's no theology in this book. In fact, today he is dealing with a theological issue. And it is uh, one pertaining to where works fits in and down through the uh, centuries there has been controversy over this very passage. We will, we will look at briefly that controversy, but I think we will be able to quickly see that there is no contradiction in what uh, James spoke of here and what, for instance, the Apostle Paul and other parts of Scripture speak of in terms of where works Fits in. I'm going to read just a, a small portion of this passage beginning with verse 14 and then later on we're going to work our way through the rest of it. James 2.14, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food. And one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, will you help us today to be discerning, understanding of your word? Will you enable your precious Holy Spirit that indwells everyone in this room who is a believer, enable him to speak to our hearts and give us clarity and move our hearts to action? We would pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in in our day and age, when most people are watching what they eat, and that includes myself, uh, when you go to the grocery store, you will, in virtually every section, see some food that is designated light, L-I-T-E. Now, the point of that is that it is lighter on calories. There tends to be less calories. Often there's less fat in that particular food. And in my experience, there's always less flavor in that food. And that's, the, that's the, the light aspect, uh, L-I-T-E. Now, some years ago, uh, a 
magazine came out called Leadership Magazine. It was for pastors. I started taking it, and it was a quarterly uh, journal. Uh, in that magazine, it was the kind that whenever you got the magazine, uh, you would open it up and immediately look at the cartoons, and then later on go back and read the articles that were in there, because the cartoons were so to the point, obviously written by a pastor or a pastor's kid, at least, someone who really understood. Well, I remembered, and then I had to <clears throat> look it up this week, a particular cartoon, and it had the picture of the front of a, a church, and as uh, lots of churches like to do, it had their, their little sign there, and it was called the Light Church, L-I-T-E, Church. And then it had a, a list of the descriptions, so you would know if that was uh, the church for you. Under the Light Church on the sign, it said, 24% fewer commitments. Home of the 7.5% tithe. 15-minute sermons. 45-minute worship services. We have only eight commandments. Your choice. <laughs> Everything you've wanted in a church and less. Now, before you come to the door and tell me or one of the other pastors, you know, that church sounded pretty good to me, I want to head that off because that's the very kind of attitude that James is addressing in this passage. In fact, when it comes to Christianity light... James would say, there is no such thing. In fact, if you think you have faith light or Christianity light, it's likely you don't have it at all. Now let's take a look at uh, this passage because it's interesting that this is the very passage that the reformer and theologian Martin Luther had a great deal of heartburn over when it came to the book of James. He had a hard time with it. If you remember, Martin Luther was dealing with a, a church that was teaching that it is faith plus works that saves you. And if anything, it might have been heavy on the works side. Now, he came to an understanding from the Scripture of really what justification is. We'll talk about that in a moment. But what salvation is. And, and how, when it comes to our works, it doesn't fit into salvation. You cannot work your way to heaven. He came to that understanding and then in his study of Scripture, he comes to this passage in James and he says, well, they, those who he had deemed heretical, they could use this passage to justify the need for works in salvation. And so, 
in his introduction to uh, uh, one of the Bible translations along about 1522. He wrote about James, and he called it an epistle of straw. Actually, he said it's a right strawy epistle. (laughs) What he was saying was, it's empty. Don't go by that. He had real questions whether it ought to be in the Scripture itself. Now, later on, he came to an appreciation more so of it. But we need to note this. Every theologian, every theologian, even at their best, have blind spots. And this was one of Martin Luther's blind spots. I want us to grasp this, and I want to start out by boiling the answer to the controversy down to the very most basic, and then we'll, we'll flesh it out a little bit. And I, I'm convinced when you understand it this way, there's clearly no conflict. The Apostle Paul is emphasizing justification, God's work, how we are saved, and works has no part in that at all. It is all God. It is none of man when it comes to salvation. James is emphasizing how that work of God is validated in our life after we're saved. It's that simple. One is talking about before salvation and the other is talking about after. If you can picture this, you have the Apostle Paul over here basically saying, I am primarily addressing those who think works are involved in how you are saved. Works are not involved in how you are saved. It is only the work of Christ. And then you have James over here, in essence, saying, I am addressing those who would say, once you're saved, it doesn't matter what you do or how you live. In fact, it is is how you live that validates, that proves that you are actually saved and that your faith is real. And those are the two sides of what we're seeing here, two aspects of the same teaching. I think you'll see that they end up agreeing as well. James is addressing the light faith. Paul is addressing justification. Now let's let's flesh it out a little bit. First of all, the place of works before we are saved we need to look at the Apostle Paul. He says in Romans chapter 3, verse 28, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. You see how how someone could say, well, that contradicts what James is saying, or James contradicts that. And then in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing." It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So you have the Apostle Paul clearly saying, absolutely. We are not saved by our works. In fact, our justification is not by our works. Now, what is justification? If you have the outline, I've 
put in there the Westminster Shorter Catechism definition, and I think that's as good as any. If uh, you see it there, it's actually question number 33. The Shorter Catechism is uh, simply a way that they summarize the Scripture and the teachings of Scripture, and they would use that as a question-answer thing. What is justification? Justification is, and here's the answer, an act of God's free grace wherein he pardons all of our sins. That's the first part of it. So it's an act of God. It's not a process. God declares it. He pardons our sins. Here we are. We've got a bunch of sin on us. He pardons our sin, takes it away from us so that we are, in essence, without sin truly without sin. And uh, he goes on, and by the way, that, that leaves you there kind of like a big zero. You don't have sin on you, but you don't have anything to offer God either. So he pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight. So that goes a step farther than just saying you don't have sin. It's saying You're righteous, and then he tells why. Only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. So here's what it's saying, basically. Here we are, we've got sin on us. He declares that forgiven. Then we are here, we're like a big zero, and, and yet we have the perfect work of Christ all throughout his life without sin, acts of righteousness, perfect obedience, and yet he went to the cross for us that pardons our sins, but then his righteousness is given to us. What did we give to him? Nothing, only our sin. So we impute to him, we give to him our sin, he gives to us his righteousness, So that's on us. So now we have that to offer to God. Not our own righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. It's not our own works. It's the work of Christ. And then we are justified. Now that's what Paul was addressing in the majority of uh, uh, what we see of his works because he was addressing uh, those who would say, no, 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 you got to do this. you got to be circumcised. you got to do something in order to earn your salvation. And Paul's saying, there is no way. What an insult to Christ when he has done it all and he has made us righteous. Now, do we still sin? Absolutely. That's why we need to be pardoned by what Christ did for us. That's justification. So what about after salvation takes place? God declares us as righteous. Is there any need for us even to think about our own works? I mean, if we're we're righteous, can't we just go on and do whatever we want and then uh, not ever think about it again? I mean, if, if we're worried about what works we do, then aren't we saying we're earning our salvation? Remember, we've got that, that line where uh, Paul is addressing salvation. James is addressing. Now, once you're saved, here's what you need to know. Your faith that you claim, and that's who James is addressing, those who claim to have faith, your faith that you claim 
is proven by what you do. In other words, what you do proves your faith either to be true or to be false. Look at verse 14, back in James. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Now, James begins with these two questions, and the form they are in the Greek actually demands a negative answer. So you've got the question, uh, what good is it, my brother, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Well, the answer is no good. Can that faith save him? The answer is, well, no, it can't. Uh, That's the, the form of the question that he put. Now, you can see why there seems to be an apparent contradiction. Once again, uh, there is no contradiction. Paul's teaching is about uh, justification and focuses upon before salvation. James's teaching is once you're saved, once you really belong to Christ, then that's where works fits in. Uh, one commentator put it this way, Paul denies any effectiveness to pre-conversion works. In other words, Paul says, pre-conversion works are useless. But James is pleading for the absolute necessity of post-conversion works. So James is saying, after you're saved, works are absolutely necessary. Not to keep you saved, but to prove your faith is genuine. Paul's fight was with those who promoted a salvation by works. James was fighting against a light faith. Those that would say it doesn't matter what you do after salvation. He's saying after you come to Christ, works are absolutely necessary to prove it. Now, we need to note that it's not as though Paul never speaks about what happens after salvation. In fact, he talks about how you come to Christ, you're a new creation. That's saying you're a different person. There are different things in your life. It is Paul that talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Those are works. That fruit proves that you really are saved. So even in that, there isn't a contradiction between Paul and James. Now, James gives an example. Uh, Remember, uh, if you remember back to the early part of our series, he had talked about how you are to treat uh, people who are, are poor and needy. And so he gives them a concrete example after he had said that, uh, you know, the, your, um, that faith cannot save you. In verse 15 he says, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So he gets real practical here. He says, look, if you say you have faith and you treat people wrongly, then you're showing that you don't have faith. 
if you're not treating them like Christ does because Christ dwells in you. So don't claim to have faith if you're going to say, hey, be warm and well-fed, or if you're not going to love your brother, if you're not going to care for them. When words and actions contradict, actions went out. And James is saying that there you are, sorry, you are uh, denying your uh, faith by your works, by your actions. Now, look at verse 18. Let me get a drink here. I've been struggling with a cold a little bit. It says in verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Now, there's an old formula that I think is helpful. That is that we are saved by faith alone, but not faith that is alone. We are saved by faith alone, but not faith that is alone. James is saying, you want to see my faith? You look at my deeds. My deeds exist because my faith is genuine. Next, James uh, takes his hearers You know, he's given them a practical example. Now he's going to take them to the absurd. Uh, Look at verse 19. It says, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. There is no demon in the universe that's an atheist. They all believe in God. They know there's a God. In fact, they believe in the Trinity. They know there's a Trinity. Demons know that the Apostles' Creed is true, the Nicene Creed. They know that. And yet, will they be in heaven? Of course not. In fact, James says, uh, look, here's, here's what their reaction to that is. They shudder. That's a vivid word in the Greek. It's like, uh, <clears throat> and you can picture this, it's, it's uh, the same word they use like for a cat that would be frightened. You know how they kind of fluff up and shudder? He said that's what the demons do when they come up against these truths. They know that they're true. So there you have like an intellectual faith they have in their head, but it's not a genuine faith. And their works prove it's not genuine. James is saying, look, don't tell me about your theology. You show me your theology. You show it to me. It should come out in how you treat your brother and sister." And how you act. Verse 20 then. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? So he has, he's shown a practical argument. He's taken us to the absurd. Then he gives two examples from history. Abraham and Rahab. I just want to read those 
to you. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled. It says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. There you see faith and works put, put uh, in right perspective. And then he talks about Rahab. Verse 24, you see that a person is justified by works and not faith alone. In the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Let me point out something that I find fascinating. If you go... Uh, where would you go if you wanted to find the chapter about faith? Who, just say it, somebody. Hebrews 11, good. In Hebrews 11, if uh, you go there and it, it talks so much about faith, it lists the faithful, it's sometimes called the, the hall of fame of faith and so on. And you see Abraham and Rahab are both listed there. I want to I read to you what it says about Abraham and about Rahab. Uh, in Hebrews 11, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his own son. Offered up Isaac, offering up his own son. In talking about Rahab, it says, By faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Now, what do you notice about both of those? It's talking about what they did. It's not just talking about some theoretical faith. It says, look, they are here in this chapter on faith. They are in the faith hall of fame, if you will, of what they did because of their faith. You go through the whole chapter and it is that way. It talks about Abel. Abel offered. Abraham obeyed and went. Isaac invoked. Jacob blessed. Others suffered and were stoned to death. And on and on, every single one of them, it talks about who they were, their faith, but what they did that proves that their faith was genuine. The scripture doesn't contradict, it does not contradict the truth that we're saved by faith alone, but not faith that is alone. Now there's one more point back to our our passage in James. Why do you think he chose Abraham and Rahab? You've got Abraham, this that that everybody thinks of when when they talk about faith. And here he is, this great patriarch of the faith, he had his failures, but, but overall people think of that. And then for his second example, he picks Rahab the prostitute. I think he went as far as he could on, on, on the end of the spectrum to contrast, to say, look, yes, that's true with Abraham, but I don't want you to write it off saying, well, that was a patriarch, and of course he could do that because he had great faith. He points out a pagan prostitute that God worked in her heart 
and plucked her out of the fire by his grace. And he is saying, look, yeah, maybe, maybe you don't relate to Abraham that much. But if there's hope for her, there's hope for all of us. Absolutely. Faith that he gives to us. Works that we carry out because of that genuine faith. So has your salvation been validated by your works or denied by your works? That, that would be the question. When the world looks on, are they going to be surprised by your actions since you're a believer? Or when they see your actions, will they be surprised when they hear you claim to be a Christ follower? That's what we've got to ask ourselves. Because James would say, look, there is no light faith. The story is told of the troops of Alexander the Great who were engaged in one of their many great battles they were in. After the battle was over, two of Alexander's captains dragged a young man, really a boy, before the great commander, Alexander. They threw him down in front of Alexander. He said, why is he here? He is here because in the middle of the battle, we found him far behind the lines, the battle lines, hiding behind a tree, shaking and crying as a coward. Alexander looked at the young man and he said, what is your name? There was no answer. Alexander thundered, what is your name? The boy said, my name is Alexander. Alexander the Great stood up and he said, either change your behavior or change your name. We, as Christians, bear the name of Christ upon us. May God enable us to live by faith, a faith that confirms to the world who we are and whose we are. Let's bow together.